in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, this is Patrick Pister, and this show is for everyone who has an interest in HSE and the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. Joining me today is my special guest co-host, all the way from the Oil & Gas This Week podcast, Jacob Corley. Jacob, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good, guys. What's going on? And we also have a guest here, Michael LeBlanc from Intertech. Yep. Hi. Right. How, how are you doing, doing today? I'm good. Thanks for the invite. Excellent. So you made the trip all the way over from Lafayette. I did. I did. That's home. We have an office there, but we have one up in the, the Woodlands area as well in well, spring. I appreciate you making the drive just special for us today. No, you're welcome. So... Who are you and how did you get in the industry? How did you get in with Inatech and how long have you been here? Let's see. So Michael LeBlanc. So I've been with in the industry. High, so consulting and training specifically for high-risk industries and coming up on 15 years in April. But you said you had a uh, psychology background? Uh, so I have a master's in social work. So I'm a licensed clinical social worker, about 15 years as a therapist, uh, mostly in Austin, Texas. Lived in Austin for a long time. Went to grad school in San Antonio. Moved to Lafayette in 2001, 2002, somewhere around there, and needed a break. But my whole, so my whole background has been around people, right, and working with people. And and a friend of my brother's worked for this little company that was doing safety leadership training. More at that time, it was oil and gas. And I was like, well, I don't know much about oil and gas. And she goes, yeah, but you have the people skills piece. And so a lot of what we're doing is culture change. And so it's really working with the people side of safety culture. And I was like, oh, okay, I, I, I can do that part. And then at the time, we were doing quite a bit of uh, experientials, like so ropes courses, challenge courses, team building. And I have a background in that as well. And so, so it just became kind of a nice blend. And it's been 15, it's been a break and it's been 15 years later. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, that's a it's an important skill set because you are dealing with people, and every every industry, every company has people as their main asset. So you have to know how they think, how they're going to react to certain situations, and especially leaders to yeah. get them to become leaders. And that's what's I mean, that's what's been good for us is because when we're thinking about safety culture and the people side of it, the high risk industry can vary depending on like what your risks are, but it's still about people, and it's still about well, how do I get a person to believe in their own personal safety and just get past just compliance around rules and um, but truly take it home. So so that's kind of where we kind of come in. Okay, so what what exactly does Intertech do? So our our so, audience knows. So Intertech, the parent company, if anything to do with inspection services. So we're we're in just about every industry you can imagine from oil and gas, mining pharmaceuticals, agriculture, food, the airline industry, McDonald's, Happy Meal toys, inspecting those suckers. I bought a, <laughs> I love Halloween. I bought a fog machine from my front porch for fog a couple of years ago. You know, the, the Intertech inspection logo is on that. So, so it's like, if you have any inspection needs, regardless of your industry, we're probably have a hand in it. It's funny in the oil and gas industry, we think of big, heavy machinery needing inspecting, but I think you only think about the, you know, the Happy Meal toys when 
it hits the news that there was some lead paint from China, you know, every yeah. 10 years or something, there'll be a story about that. Yeah, no, so it's, it's kind of from A to Z. And, and then consulting and training, we're just a piece of the, you know, the, the parent company. And so our, our piece is, so if you think of inspection services as managing risk, right? So, so from, from that perspective, consulting and training is also about managing risk, but from more of the safety culture side. And within consulting and training, we also have, so there's a technical side and then there's the people side. The technical side is like well control training, a stuck pipe, IADC, IWCF. And those are ongoing certifications that, you know, the men and women that work on the rigs have to have like every two years, right? So we we have uh, Lafayette, Houston, and Jackson or for North America are three kind of ongoing locations that are constantly offering IADC certified trainings in IWCF. And then for me, I'm on the, the safety leadership side, right? So it's about the culture change and how do you either leadership training for frontline or managers, but also the the worker, right? And and how do you just help folks believe more in their personal safety so and, we, and that culture journey? And we talked a little bit about that safety leadership and affecting cultural change. So how do you as a consultant come into a company that you haven't worked with before and affect change? You mentioned some companies want to check a box or use the phrase, fix it. And it's not as simple as just doing a couple things and you, your right. culture's fixed. So how do you actually do that? Well, so what we find is each client's a little different. So the, the maturity of your culture really determines kind of what you're needing, right? So if I've got a a, a new client, but they're just kind of getting started with their culture change. And so uh, they're, if you think of lagging indicators and you think of incidents and fatalities or injuries that are happening, theirs is usually pretty high. And so they're scrambling, like, what do we do? And we're not talking about the age of the company. We're talking about the age of their safety it's the, it's culture. The, absolutely. They can be an old company with a very young, poor safety culture Correct. that they're on the starting path of that transformation. Right. Okay. And then I've got some clients who've been on the journey for quite a number of years, right? So so their culture is really matured and strong. And so it's like, but it's, you know, you, you're you're always humans will always show up and human error will always be with us. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's always going to be an ongoing journey, right? But what the newer, the person who's starting their journey is very, what they need is very different than the person who's been on the journey, right? And so I think w what I like about what we do is our thing is to customize what your solutions need to be. Um, so it's not so much like, well, here's a packaged sort of program and it'll work for everything. It's like, really, what are you trying to achieve? And let's make sure we're designing your solution to, to do that. So when I have a new client, which I do right now, it's like they're just getting started. So what they're going to need to do is very different than a client, you know, that like one of my other clients that's uh, been with us since like 2008. Right. So they're a much more mature culture. And so what we're designing for them is very different than what we're designing over here. So so if I'm just starting out of my journey and I come to you and I, I really don't know where to start and I just say, we just don't want to hurt anybody anymore. How do you how do you start that process or what are the things that you would start them out in their process if they're just, you know, we you know, maybe we killed somebody last year. Or we, we just have too many injuries. All I want you to do is come in and help us stop hurting our employees. Yeah. So. I know it's kind of a, <laughs> you don't know, you know, it's a, it's an abstract company. It doesn't, you know, it's hard to. No, but it's it's really helping whoever my, 
So the person I end up working with, right, becomes the client for, for us. But it's really helping them think through, so what is really happening, right? So from the worker perspective, where are they in regards to safety at all? What level of safety systems do you have in place? What level of buy-in do you have? Like this one particular one, they, they have sort of a, a BBS system and a card sort of system, but you don't have buy-in, you don't have belief, you don't have – people are doing it because, you know, you told me I have to I have to it. put in a card every day, so I'm going to put in a card so whether the, it's made up or not. Yeah, so the, the value is not there. So – you don't necessarily need to throw out your system, but if you haven't ever worked with your people to find value in it, like how does this help me go home at the end of the day? Right. Right. I mean, I think of like a, a JSA or risk assessment, like oh, companies got them, right? And, and and a lot of times they're, sometimes they're pretty in depth, right? But if I went up to a worker and I said, so how does this help you go home at the end of the day? Can they answer that question? Has anybody ever even asked them that question? And usually the answer to that is no. (laughs) They've been told how to do it, and they've been told they have to do it. But for that person to see, well, how does this tool help me go home safe at the end of the day or at the end of my hitch, whatever that means, if I can connect that dot as a human being, then it's my tool, and I'm going to want to make sure – I'm doing it right. I'm using it right. That kind of thing. But if if I've never connected the dot and the company hasn't ever spent time with me to connect the dot, then most likely I'm just doing it because it's paperwork and it's something you told me to do. That's a very interesting point because I know when I started working offshore, I was I knew the tools I had. I knew which ones meant something to me. But if we had an auditor coming out, we had training seminars about this is where you find the information. So never tell them you don't know. Just tell them, you know, I I'm not sure exactly, but I know where to go find the information. And it always kind of, I felt like I was studying for an exam that I just needed to pass the test versus you're not trying to teach me how to use extra tools. You're just telling me, yeah, it's in our, it's in our process and procedures and our manuals. And if I go to the OIM's office, I can get a binder and show you where it is, but I've never done that before. Right. So yeah, I'm, I'm studying to pass a test when the auditor comes out here, but I'm not really learning extra tools. And it's not, like you said, connecting the dots of why it's important to me. I think that's a very interesting way to take things. I, I guess, how is it received when you, because I could see it, if you have a bad culture and you're requiring employees to fill out these cards every day, now we're coming in with a renewed focus on it, but they've already been, you know, they don't care about those cards. And some of them are never going to care about them because of the way they started. And so how do you, how do you bridge the gap between the employees that have just been so beaten down by systems that don't work? So, if you're doing it from a – so if I think of a training experience as a solution, which isn't always the solution, but if I think of that as a solution, I need it to be an experience for the employees. So it's not an information presentation download, right, because they've already gotten that. What they need is to really kind of have an experience around something personal to them or what could happen to them. And, and then start connecting those dots. Like, well, how would this tool help me in this moment, right? And, and it also gets to supervisors. So what, what's coming out of your mouth? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do a lot of training with leaders and, and supervisors. And conceptually, they understand plenty. But it's like, well, that's all great. But what comes out of your mouth at the end of the day? So if you're saying, I need 
10 cards, you've just said, do the card, like check the box. Right. You've not communicated any value, any worth to it. You've just said, do it. It's like the same thing with a risk assessment like we talked about earlier ago. If I tell you, hey, remember to fill it out, my word choice just there means there's paperwork completed. Yeah. That's what I that's what that says. It did not say, hey, look, make sure you have a conversation about the risk and the hazards and what are you gonna do to stay safe and make sure people are clear if you got anybody new on the team. You know, like those aren't the words being said. That's a good point because I remember being offshore and you the question you would get asked when you're on the job was not do you understand the hazards of the job? It was did you sign the JSA? Exactly what you're saying. The the message there is, yeah, you know, make sure your name's on it. Not the message should be make sure you understand what you're doing and what the hazards are and how you're mitigating those hazards. It's just, is your name on the JSA? Because if something happens, we need to make sure everybody that's in this area at least is, right. his name is on there saying that they understand. So if we take something like that and we want to build an experience around it, it's getting the, the teams that are in the session to demonstrate, well, what does a good conversation sound like, right? Show, show us. And they, they know, right? But get them practiced at actually having one of those versus, well, how do you fill it out, right? And what do you do with it? And it's like, well, let's spend time on the, the part that's really going to help you go home safe is the conversation piece. So let's spend time on on actually practicing that and hearing what comes out of my mouth. And and even like, so, so do you know what the hazards are? It's like even coaching around, that's a yes, no question. People will lie to your face. <laughs> you know, I mean, we've all faked our way through a job. Somebody's all, already has asked me before, hey, do you, you got it? You got it? You know what you're doing? And we just do the head nod, right? And I know this is radio, so you can't see that. But, <laughs> you know, but we just nod our heads yes. But inside, I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm really doing, you know, but I'm not about to admit it. But if I have... A stronger culture that's going to like, hey, so what are those hazards? That's a, now I've got to say something. And now you can hear what, does Michael know what the hell he's doing? Or or is Michael kind of like BSing, right? <laughs> because I had to say something. So it's even simple. It's simple, but it's real significant in a strong safety culture. Like that we're really, there's more communicating and exchanging, but that means we're asking better questions and we're getting people to think better. Um, do you see that just yes, no, and check a box? Do you see that transferring over to outside of the training scenario? So you coach them, you know, how to have the conversations. But some of the training I've had, they're all good. You know, start with you know a compliment sandwich. Tell them what they're good, what good they're doing. Ask them questions about can they be doing it safer. Get them to go into it. But you know, dealing with guys on the rig, it's it's awkward having those kind of conversations if you're not used to it. If you just have the training, get out there and start having this weird. You know, Michael, I like what you're doing today. You're, you know, you're wearing your PPE. Sure. Is there something else you could be doing safer? Right. They want to get back to their job. So really you can see it in their eyes. Like just get to what you were going to get to and let's, sure. let's move on to you. So I guess I, my back to the question was you have the training. Do you see it in the field? Is it transferring over those skills? I think if you keep it more realistic, so, you know, so if Jake would be the one having the conversation, you know, and how would Jake have the conversation? It's important. If he's not having the conversation and he just has the conversation and it's a pretty direct and blunt conversation, awesome. <laughs> it's better than not saying anything, right? So let's just start there. Let's just start with what's a practical, what would come out of your mouth? Because what you could do and what he would do and what I would do might sound a little different, right? But 
great. Let's just see what's what makes sense for Jake and having that safety conversation, and let's do that. Now, I want to coach to what's the best practices, right? But that doesn't mean start there. It's like, let's just, if we're not having them, have them, right? And say whatever you need to say, but have the conversation if where you're at is not having it. And that's where the maturity level, I think, really plays a part. If you got a company just starting and then expecting this like really polished conversation, <laughs> it's like it's, a, it's kind of crap and they're not going to do it. Right. It doesn't it doesn't feel real. It doesn't sound real. It sounds fake. It sounds hokey. So so who the hell is going to go back to the job and do that? So keep it practical for where that group is, where your culture is. I've got a more mature culture. They've been at through speaking up and having conversations a lot longer. It's like, well, great. It's time you up your game. Right. If are you getting people to think because because I will change my behavior if I have to think differently. You can't make me believe in safety, but you can ask me better questions that make me think differently. So a more mature culture can handle that. And when you're trying to like get your supervisors to up their game, it's really like, so are you asking better questions that get your people thinking differently? Again, I can't make you, I can't make you believe in anything, but I can ask you some better questions that cause you to think differently. And the moment you start thinking differently, the chances of you behaving differently, right? So, so if I'm trying to get you to, to believe in safety a certain way, the better I can get you thinking through things will shift you to making a better choice around it. If you think, well, nothing's going to happen, things are fine, I've been doing it this way for 10 years, you know, why would I change? Why would I change? So some an incident might make me think differently, right? So I can tell a quick story? Absolutely. So my dad, so when I was 10, he worked at a salt mine, all right? And he fell about 17 feet. He fell on solid concrete. Um, he busted up both of his legs. He fortunately didn't hurt his back. I was probably 10-ish or so at the time. And I can still today remember going to the hospital. His knees were swollen up. He had pins in his left knee. He had pins in his right leg. Um, he had weights and traction at the end of the bed. He had stuff above his head. He was in traction. And he was in the hospital two or three months. He had to come home and to go through rehab. I remember as a kid just doing exercises with him on the floor. Yeah, I didn't know what I was doing, but... You know, just playing along with dad. <laughs> right. But he was trying to get, you know, range of motion back. Uh, he had to go to the rehab quite a few times a week. He eventually returned to the mine. They had to modify his work. He loved playing softball. He was never able to do that again. You know, but he's 80. He's 80. 80. 80 now. Um, I, I, I told him he was older the other day. And he looked at me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he's 80. I'm going to go with that one. But he, uh, you know, you walk in his house and it's like he's got safety medals, he's got safety awards, he's got safety plaques. He was inducted into the Hall of uh, Fame mine, for Mine Rescue a few years back. I took him to an eye doctor appointment recently. And he's, he's got a walker. He can only walk with a walker or a wheelchair, right? So when you think of a ripple effect of an injury, right, it continues past when that happened, right? So, and it continues for us because we're... You know, now he can't drive anymore. He needs help 
you know, to go to his appointments, all that kind of stuff. Here's my great dad, right? So he's he's in the doctor's office. He's watching a nurse walk down the hall, and she's got both hands in her pocket. He, he gets her attention, and he has a quick safety conversation with her. He's like, hey, what are you going to do if you were to stumble right now? How are you going to get your hands out of your pocket quick enough for them to help you, right? So it was kind of like, hey, you know, when you're walking around, keep your hands free. So, you know, so here he is, 80 years old. <laughs> but... But his incident changed how he thought. To me, the challenge is, and this is where our work comes in, is, well, how do we help people, a you and a me, believe in it without having that happen? How do we help you think differently but not needing the incident to be why you think differently? That's, that's actually something I've considered for a long time because exactly what you said, when, you, when it personally affects you, it changes culture. So anytime from the upstream on the drilling side of things, when a rig has an incident, mm-hmm. it will then have the best safety record for at least the next six months, usually longer, because everyone on that rig knew the person that was involved in the incident. So how do you artificially modify behavior without having the incident? Can you get that mindset that you had an incident without having an incident? Is there a yeah. way to affect change without going you that can. far? And so, you know, when people are thinking of, yeah, because we use training quite a bit. And so, but you, you want to make sure, is it going to be an experience? You don't want training that's just an information dump and you don't want it to be just this PowerPoint kind of presentation. And because if that's the case, then just email me some crap and let me read it, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but you can design it with an adult in mind and adults learn best through sharing of experiences, discussions, personal stories hearing about personal stories. You know, when I talk about my dad's story, people are reflecting inside when they hear a story. When you're reflecting like that, you're starting to think differently. That's what helps you choose differently at the end of the day. So when I think of folks out there and wanting to do a a training to try to help that out, then it needs to be designed so that it's going to be an experience. And it's not going to be just information and a presentation that I'm going to check out after the first 10, 15 minutes, right? So, you know, like we were at the conference, right? Sorry, yeah, we met at the IDC Human Factors Conference in Galveston a few weeks ago. That's how we got got in touch. So. Right. And one of the things I asked them at the conference was, do I have to stay standing at the podium? Or can I have a lapel mic and come down with the audience? Because I knew it'll be a better experience for the audience if I can have an experience with them versus stay at the podium and give you information. And so I was thrilled when they said I could, right? Because it allowed me to go, it allowed me to be engaged, and it allowed the folks in the audience to have more of an experience than just hearing information. And we just take more away from that. So when you're thinking of how do we like not have to go through the incident, we can experientially move you through sharing personal stories, examples, and have those be part of that session so that you're constantly reflecting and discussing and having to really think about things as opposed to just be told some stuff. Yeah, and I think that can actually be used for every meeting in every business anywhere. Well, even safety <laughs> meetings, right? So when you think of they get monotonous, they get routine, it's like, well, so Build in some adult learning principles, right? Put in some 
put in some small team discussions, put in a little flip chart exercise, put in a personal story, get different people to share and, and run the meeting. It doesn't need to be the supervisor who's in charge, right? You got a lot of millennials, they love technology, right? So great, let them create some videos, let them create some things, start, you know, meet them where they live and then start, put them in charge, let them, you know, hey, so, Michael, how do you actually measure results there? You know, the lagging indicators, the TRI are the things after an incident occurs. But how do you how do you measure results? And you also mentioned the the stages of pro- progression. So how do you measure success? And then how do you measure and then decide that the company that you're working with is ready to go into the next stage? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, most companies all do lagging indicators. That That's pretty common. That's pretty standard. It's It's shifting to leading indicators. So it's shifting to, so if we know risk assessments, for an example, like that, it, that is something we are expected to do. It's part of our safety management system. It is something, it's a safety tool. What we're encouraging clients to do is, so how do you create measurements around some a lagging indicator like that? How would you, not just are they done or not done? I mean, that is a measurement. Right. So, yes, they did it. No, they didn't. But how would you look at quality? Right. And and start measuring and, and exploring some of your quality. So it's really taking like come up with some of your top leading indicators. Right. What are some of those preventative safety tools that you you want people believing in? You want them using it. Some examples of that would be? Well, like the risk assessment would be one. A safety conversation could be a, a safety. I mean, it is a safety tool, right? You know, lockout, tagout. Those are those are preventative pieces. But measuring like did we or did we not do it, like that's a start. But then, I you know, like, and I, and I say get a few people together because they know their tools best than an outsider would. But really think through, so how would we measure if it's happening, how would we measure the quality of it, the value of it? And then- I think that's a, that's a sticky point too, the quality of it, because you have an observation program. You always hear the managers that read through the cards that oh, we get 20%, 50% quality cards. The rest we know we're just made up. And one, if, you're, if you recognize that, then having an arbitrary requirement, three a day, one a day, whatever, then but- that's not really hitting the mark because you know that there's an right. X percentage of, of poor quality cards coming in. Right. And it goes back to kind of, well, what was the expectation? Is what's coming out of the, the, the mouth of the leader is, hey, do X number, then that's the expectation I'm asking for. I'm not asking for quality. I'm not, the words, hey, have a quality conversation did not come out of my mouth. <laughs> the words, you know, hey, make sure you complete something came out of my right. mouth. Right. So it's a different expectation. So like so you did that. You brought it full circle from the start of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so it's worth spending the time so let's say training, right? We're going to we're going to do a training and maybe it's around culture but we want to bridge like a we want to bridge personal safety and process safety, right? So we do want people to believe more in their personal safety, but we want to take something like a job safety like a risk assessment and we want to help people believe in the tool and that's what we want to do. So it's really creating an experience around that tool so people can find the personal value What's good? What's great? Right. Let's kind of look at that. And what does that sound like? In the session, you're promoting the conversation. You're promoting what's going to save my life. It's not this piece of paper. The piece of the, the conversation is going to save my life. So 
let's look at well, what's poor. They know, you know, you know what a poor conversation sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> you know what a mediocre one, and you know what a real good one sounds like. So it's really starting to develop. You know, so folks who you want metrics, you want something to measure. We'll spend some time on on coming up with a couple of those that makes sense for your company, makes sense for your culture. Well, we would do. You know, and Jake's company might not be what you would do in yours. The, it, it really needs to be tailored to make sense, but it is worthwhile spending time on, okay, so what does great look like and what, how would we measure that and get feedback about that, right? So you're, you're introducing ways to measure more of your leading indicators and not just the lagging indicators. Do you see companies adopting this because we're so obsessed with the lagging indicators because that's what, that's what clients want to see. That's what you talk about at management meetings is it hard to drag those new metrics into the conversation because they're a little more subjective? The completing a task, number of cards, number of conversations, that's a that's a that's binary. It's yes or no, and then you count up how many. Once you start getting into quality, it's a little more subjective, good versus bad versus great. Is it difficult to get those conversations into the executive level, the leadership level conversations, and then to keep it going? So a couple of thoughts happened there. One was the maturity of the safety culture usually has a lot to do with where our focus is. When companies are usually at the beginning, the focus is on the lagging and those are their pain points and they're just reading this crisis mode and we got to do something, right? Your more mature cultures, they're further away from that. They've improved and they have shifted to the, the leading indicators. So when I think of like some of the clients I work with that are more mature, they're already focused on those leading indicators. They know they have to keep track of lagging because that's just part of the requirement, if you will. Right. But they know the value comes out of the leading. It does just take more time to sit down and really think it through. Well, how how would we measure this in any kind of realistic, practical way for our workforce? Right. And again, it's just going to be different than what what we can pull off and what you can pull off. So. Yes, it does mean, well, we need to just stop a moment and instead of just rolling it out, (laughs) right? And, well, we emailed everybody. They know to use this new form, right? It's like, well, no, let's really think about, well, how would we measure quality to make sure it really is saving lives, right? And and spend time thinking that through. And, And they'll make it complex, come up with two or three tangible things you could keep track of. But do it for different leading indicators, you know, have different conversations there. So I guess that kind of brings us into the next topic of conversation that we had already in an in-depth conversation and we lost a little bit of our audio here, but the, the follow-up that you were talking about. So I guess your follow-up is well, you're creating some leading indicators in those sessions that we were talking about early. Yeah. So so if I think of just training, a few training, like, so if if you're out there and you're thinking about, well, we need to... Training is the right solution, first off, because it's not always the right solution, but let's say it is. And then what are some things I need to think about when I develop my training? One is make sure it's customized for you, because what you're trying to achieve is going to be different than maybe what another company might be trying to achieve. So I always encourage clients to go fast forward. Pretend it was the most phenomenal thing your company has ever experienced. What happened? What are the behaviors that are changing? What are the attitudes that are changing? 
get those as spelled out as possible because then when you hire a company like us to come in and help you design it, those are the targets. And what what your end objectives are might be a little different. So let's make sure it's tailored for specifically those things. So make sure you, you're clear about what you're trying to achieve with it. The other is that the session itself needs to really be designed for adults, right? If if you're going through a training and you like think of all the bad trainings you have been through <laughs> and make sure you're not doing any of I've that blocked crap. them out <laughs> <laughs> right just make sure you're not doing any of that stuff right so it needs to be dynamic it needs to be interactive you want people facilitating that training you do not want presenters you want facilitators you want people in teams you want people sit even this arrangement of the room should not be people lined up facing the front if I walk into a room and I see tables and chairs facing the front, that's for a presentation. I'm going to hear a bunch of information. It's not interactive. And I'll find a spot in the back right. and take a little snooze. And Right. <laughs> so walk into the room. The, the setup of the room should be a certain way, and the whole thing should be designed so it's interactive. And it's going to, it's going to create an experience for me. I am going to learn, but there is an experience. I'm going to have some hands-on things. If it's practicing like safety conversations, I'm going to have to hear what the hell comes out of my mouth <laughs> and get some feedback on it. The other thing, though, is if there's some action plans that are going to take place in that training, the other thing I really encourage companies to do is do not begin your training unless you've really thought through, well, how are we going to follow up to make sure we're making progress on the actions? Because as a participant, if I know... When I'm in the session, you're going to be checking on how these actions, then I'm going to go with a whole different attitude about it. But if I know I'm going to this training and it's just work as usual after the training, right, I might enjoy it. I might even write some great actions down, but that doesn't mean I'm going to do anything with it when I leave. Right. I was getting out of work or I was getting overtime pay and we'll just go back to what we were doing. So to get the most value from the money you're going to spend to one, get it customized for you. Make sure you've spent time on, well, what is the follow-up going to look like, right? For us, what would that just be practical for you guys, right? And make sure that's kind of in the works before you start the training. Because then you have the whole thing. You're sending me to it the right way. It's going to engage me the right way. And then I have this follow-up idea of what I'm going to do, right, to, to make some progress. Well, that's a good point because I think, you know, maybe it happens – Maybe people think about the follow-up, but a lot of, I think a lot of times they have a, a need for safety training. They have mm-hmm. a budget for safety training, and it's somebody in the safety department that may be implementing it. But it's op- guys from operations are the ones that really need it because they're the ones putting their hands on the equipment. So right. if it just ends there, if all, you're, yeah, if all you're thinking about is that safety course and you're not right. thinking about how the implementation – because I've had courses where they ask you to make commitments and you mm-hmm. write it in your book. Yeah. And that book either went in my file cabinet or in my backpack until it finally got thrown out because there was no follow-up. There was no right. real checking up on things. Uh, I think you said earlier, unless they were motivated that these are the goals that I set out and I'm going to do yeah. them. Yeah. I mean, you have those employees, right? But that's not your workforce. <laughs> <laughs> that is a few of them. You know, a couple of things I'm thinking of. So for the follow-up, I mean, like like we have an app. Right. So you can, if you have a training, we can, through the app, send 
modules that you have to work on following the training. So it's going to kind of refresh you a little bit of a review, but there's sort of some call to actions and then there's some behavioral observation pieces, right? So are we seeing these conversations and we can kind of grade them? So there's all these pieces to it. So when you're thinking of follow-up, is there something like that? The other thing one of our clients is, and it's going to be a real luxury to do it is, but they're able to stagger the learning. So it's, it's smaller modules, but then this group's going to go through like two to four hours. But then in, uh, we haven't quite figured out the intervals just yet, but let's say in two months or, or, or once a quarter, you're going to come to another one. Well, we can weave in kind of homework, if you will, something you're going to be practicing that we're trying to promote in our culture. And then when we come to the next one, we can follow up and see how it's going and then go into some more. But when it's staggered that way, now I'm constantly reinforcing it along the way, right? So my chances of changing the culture go up because there's something going on like that. Well, so, you're, yeah, you're reinforcing it. Somebody at the Human Factors Conference in Galveston had mentioned within two weeks of taking a first training course, it was some staggering amount. 70, 80% of the actual information is kind of gone from their memory because they haven't had to practice it on a daily basis. Right. So, yeah, having those reoccurring milestones yeah. is a... And, yeah, and part of the staggering for them is they know, just from a work perspective, if we do smaller chunks, people won't have to be off the job quite as long, right? Which is a win-win usually. So we can still get some motion. We can still, again, build it right, right? Even if it's two hours, build it, build the two hours correctly. But now we can weave in some things we're going to follow up on. So they already leave this module, this training, this experience, knowing, hey, in a couple of months, I'm going to come to another one, but they're going to be checking up on on what I was supposed to do along the way. So it builds in this accountability when you can kind of do it that way. Yeah, I think this is a, a great aspect. So if you're doing some kind of training, have that follow up. Yeah. So it's been a great conversation and we're kind of getting close to the end okay. and we want to go into the Red Wing safety tip of the week. And Michael, do you have a Red Wing safety tip of the week for our audience? The training tip was just that, right? So it's it's make sure you do get it customized for you. You make sure it is a facilitated experience, right? So, And you make sure there's really some follow-up plan before you kind of get going. The other one that I'll just throw in there, because I was in my attic this uh, past weekend, uh, pulling down Christmas lights. I like Christmas. It's that time of year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm kind of ready, right? I know Thanksgiving still has to happen, but I'm kind of ready. You know, but I was ta- talking about my dad earlier, right? And he fell because of a ladder, right? So he fell, uh, his ladder slipped and all that. And so I know a lot of us are going to be wanting to decorate. We're going to be wanting to be at our house. We're going to be on ladders. We're going to be doing things. So it's, it's really making sure, am I doing it safe, right? Even though I'm at home, right? And how can I secure my ladder at home, right? It might be easier to do at work because all the stuff's there. But how do I take the time to make sure I'm doing those things at home? Yeah, it's very good. Since, yeah, taking since those. the holidays are uh, closer than we think. <laughs> yeah, we've got people watching us at work and we want to do the right thing. But I think you're right at home sometimes. Well, if I don't have the equipment, I'll just get it done real quick. And, you know, accidents can happen. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to our Red Wing bag winner. This week's winner of the Red Wing offshore bag is Greg Ellis. Greg is a frack consultant at Eli. Congratulations, Greg. And we want to give a shout out to our new audio engineer. It's uh, Emin of David Studios. He's doing all our editing now, and we just want to give him some credit for it. If you go to facebook.com forward slash David Studio One, 
and use the promo code OGGN. You'll get your first $5 off if you've got any kind of uh, audio engineering services that you need from him. So he's given that to our audience. Please join our LinkedIn group. It's OGGN. Just go to LinkedIn, type in OGGN. You have to get approved, but Paige Wilson, she's pretty good about doing it within a day. Get you on our group there. It's a great, great community. There's no spam. The website, oilandgashse.com. You'll find everything about this show first there, then in our LinkedIn group. And obviously in the podcast, we talk about a lot of different things. Our on-the-road sponsors are Total Land, the world's most advanced field land management system at totalland.com, and Lee Hecht Harrison at lhh.com. Lee Hecht Harrison is the global expert in talent management, currently helping 75% of the Fortune 500 oil and gas companies simplify the complexities and leadership of the workforce transformation. So this has been great, Michael. This is an awesome conversation. I think we got a lot of actionable things that our, that our listening audience can, can use. If people want to find out more about you, where should they go? LinkedIn, email address? Um, yeah, so... So email is michael.x.leblanc at intertech.com. I mean, intertech website is is another. Uh, You're on LinkedIn. I, you, I you am will, on LinkedIn. We'll put your profile Michael, in the show notes. Michael and, LeBlanc, uh, MSW, LCSW is my kind of my initials there. So I lived in Austin for a while. I was one or two Michael LeBlancs. I moved back to Louisiana. <laughs> we could start a club, right? right. So, <laughs> so there's quite a few. But yeah, I am on LinkedIn as well. Well, perfect. And we, you know, we really appreciate you being on here. And Jake, thanks for joining us and on this special uh, occasion. This was an episode where I just listened. So I just enjoyed the conversation. <laughs> well, I appreciate you being here for moral support. <laughs> thanks. And that does it. So uh, y'all be safe out there. I don't have Mark giving me his give up the good and go for the great. <laughs> Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond. What's the most disorganized company you've had to come in and and help out. Anything stand out? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so they flew two of us to Hong Kong to do a two-day safety leadership training. So we, well, we fly to Hong Kong, then we have to take a bus into China. And we make our way there. We get to the hotel. We talk to the client. Now they're still deciding if it's going to be tomorrow or not. <laughs> and, and of course, we've already got return tickets, right? So there's only so many days we have some wiggle room. So finally, they, they, they like, okay, we'll, we'll do it, and it's tomorrow, and, right, and, and where to go. Well, so they decide the training is now going to be we have to take a ferry to another city <laughs> to do this training. Right. And then day two's at a different location. So day one's in one location, day two's in another location. And then there's not the same people that are going to be in day two that are in day one. Right. Now they just flew two of us from the States to do this. So when I think of the most disorganized experience I've run across, they win. <laughs> <laughs> that would be it. Awesome.